0: Before we dive in, I just want to echo what Tyler said. Um, We just want to thank from the bottom of our hearts, everyone who has served over the last week, either serving evacuees or serving up at the CC's house. uh, Had a blast serving with you guys. Um, It was truly joyful, even though we uh, Mm -hmm. finished the the couple weeks exhausted. And so um, thank you so much for everyone who served in any capacity. If you are uh, someone who's evacuated and displaced, uh, we still have a bunch of gift cards that we'd love to give to you. Um, If you're just a a member of the church, we also would love for you guys to take some gift cards that you can personally disperse to those who who are maybe neighbors or friends or co-workers who are displaced. And so um, while the first section of us serving evacuees, or what we're calling phase one, has come to an end, Uh, it's going to be a a long road of serving these families and continuing to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And so um, I just want to be an encourager to spur us on to to continue to be faithful, to continue to be consistent, um, because that's who God is. He's not a God who helps once and then then quits. Um, He's a God who continually, faithfully serves us. And so we want to turn around and, and do the same thing to our community. So uh, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 17 this morning. Um, It is on page 984 in your pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, um, we would love for you to take this home as our gift to you. Um, So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and it starts on page 984 there. So today we will return uh, to the book of Colossians and our series through the book of Colossians. Today uh, is part two of a two-part sermon, which started uh, in verse five a couple weeks ago and goes through verse 17 of chapter three. Um, To kind of catch us back up, here's where we've been so far in the letter. Uh, Paul has spent the first two chapters of the letter of Colossians telling us who Christ is and what he's done for us. Um, He's taught us the glorious doctrine of the supremacy of Christ in all things. In chapter 3, he then turns his attention not so much to doctrine, but to our deeds based upon that doctrine. So in verses 5 through 11, two weeks ago, he, he told us that in light of the gospel, we are to kill sexual sin. We are to put off, kind of like dirty clothes, sins relating to our speech. And in that, he taught us that relationships in the church are unified, and that the gospel is displayed. But, Christian living is more than just killing and putting off sin. It's about putting certain things on as well. And that's where Paul heads in our text today. While we're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 17, I'm going to read the whole section again so that we can kind of catch up with this flow of thought. So let's dive in. This is the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience Remember from last time, a couple weeks ago, our three points for this entire text are these. Point one was murdering sin in verses 5 through 11. Points two and three are putting on fresh clothes in verses 12 through 14. And then point three, a glorious recipe in verses 15 through 17. And so it's to points two and three that we now turn this morning. Point two, putting on fresh clothes. Look with me uh, again at the beginning of verse 12. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I want us to see how careful Paul is to remind us uh, of the basis of our acceptance with God here. Uh, Over and over and over again, Paul roots these commands in the truth of the gospel. He doesn't say, if you want to be God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, you better put these things on. No. Just like last time, this isn't a a do this or else thing. It's a because you are thing. Before we even get to the details of what we, we are to put on, Paul actually starts with the why question. Why are we to put on these virtues? Well, because we're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, what's he saying in this? What's our identity in Christ? God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That describes us as Christians god isn't just putting up with you he chose you specifically he set his heart toward you in love and because of that he made you holy and set you apart in christ interestingly enough these are all words that formerly described israel Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. It says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. This is just one instance, but these words, along with the declaration of holiness, were used to describe Israel all over the Old Testament. And now, Paul's saying, Colossians, this is your identity in Christ. Same for us, who are believers today. And because it is, because this is our identity in Christ, here's some virtues you should put on. And notice that these five virtues that we're going to walk through Describe Jesus perfectly in his relationships with others. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's take these one by one. First, compassionate hearts. Paul uses two words that literally translate merciful bowels. He's saying this. He's saying, at the core of your being, at the deepest part of you, yearn affectionately for others. You're compassionate. You care deeply. Compassionate hearts. As with all of these virtues that we're going to walk through, this is the opposite of selfishness. It's focused outward. Outward on others. So, compassionate hearts. Kindness. In one way, you could say that kindness is what flows out of a compassionate heart. It's a word that means goodness, honesty, uprightness. Intentionally doing good to someone. Kindness. Let's just admit, this doesn't come naturally to us. But it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. I didn't point this out a couple weeks ago, but all of this is a work of the Spirit. Even the sin-killing part. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, but check this out again. Romans chapter 8, verse 13, this is about killing sin. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So putting to death the deeds of the body or sin is done by the spirit. Putting on virtue is also by the spirit. None of this happens by merely gritting your teeth and trying harder. That's not Christianity. All of this comes through reliance upon God and walking in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, Christ is magnified, and your life begins to look like him. Sin gets killed, and the fruit of virtue flourishes. In other words, being Spirit-filled isn't about ecstatic experiences. It's about holiness. Next word, humility. Compassionate hearts, kindness, and humility. This is a spirit of lowliness. As Tim Keller has said, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And again, this is Jesus. This describes Jesus perfectly. Look at what Jesus himself says, Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The word that that Jesus uses there for lowly is the same root word that Paul uses for humility in our text today. Um, by the way, uh, this book, Gentle and Lowly, um, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's maybe one of the best books I've read outside the Bible in the last five years. So um, I know you can tune me out because I recommend books all the time, but like you can ignore the re- Like read this one. Um, fantastic. Jesus was the most humble person who ever lived. We see what Paul says about him in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's telling us to to have a posture of humility, but why? Why? It roots it in verse six and who Jesus is. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, meaning Jesus, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see that? Our humility springs from the gospel. We're called to be humble people because Christ humbled himself for us. So, we're to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Next, Paul says, meekness. This is the word Jesus used when he said that he was gentle in the passage we just read gentle and lowly. It's a word that means considering others and a willingness to forego our own rights. You guys see how others-focused these virtues are? Finally, Paul says patience, long-suffering, forbearing wrongs done to you, not demanding something and demanding it now. Patience. How sweet is the truth that God is patient with us. If he were to mete out justice with no patience, we'd all be toast. But he's patient. He's long-suffering, even when we're rebellious. Christians, because of them... We are called to reflect his character. Now, now I want us to do the same experiment that we did a couple weeks ago with our vice list. If you remember, we asked what it would be like to be on the receiving end of the sins that Paul listed. Let's do that again with these virtues. Verse 12 again. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. I don't know about you, but if anyone has put on those clothes, I want to be around them. That kind of life is compelling and attractive. Think about this. The world doesn't need cool Christianity, so to speak. They need Christians to live like this. So search your hearts. Would this list describe you this morning? This is what your neighbors need. This is the character of Jesus. Paul continues on in verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We live in a day and time of what's known as cancel culture. Someone uh, offends you and, and they're canceled. They're done, not allowed to go forward. Now, I wanna ask again, What if Christ treated us like that? Many people unfortunately think that this is how it works. They think you sin, God cancels you. You're done. You're not allowed to go forward. This isn't true. For those who are in Christ, the only thing that's been canceled is the debt of our sin. For those, who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus. You're forgiven, not canceled. You're given grace and mercy. Numbers fourteen eighteen it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving, the iniqu- forgiving iniquity and transgression. Do we understand just how patient and forgiving Jesus has been toward us? Because he is, we get to turn around and do the same to others. Do you see this? This isn't a forgive or else thing. It's a forgive and bear with one another because thing. The measure with which we've been forgiven, we get to turn and forgive others. Again, the world doesn't need cool Christianity. It needs this. This is compelling. This is the gospel lived out in your neighborhoods and in your homes. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As a side note here, but I think an important point You see that Paul doesn't assume that the Colossian church, or for us, for that matter, are a perfect community. He assumes that people in the church are going to sin against each other and need to be forgiven. A healthy church isn't a church where no one needs to be forgiven. A healthy church is where people live out, verse 13. But Paul isn't done. He's given us all of these virtuous clothes to put on. And he adds the one thing that binds them all together like a belt. Look at verse 14. He says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, like a belt. Love is what fuels every single one of the virtues that we've listed. It's the motive behind them. Friends, above all, put on love. When you do, the gospel gets displayed through Christ's character in you. So Paul has told us to murder sin. He's told us to put on fresh clothes. Then he's going to finish with a glorious recipe in verses 15 through 17. Look again at the text. Verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word, Or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What we have here is this the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. And what does Paul say about them? First, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If there were ever a time that the peace of Christ is needed, it's now. Our world is full of chaos. Yet, God's word here tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So, what is the peace of Christ? Well, it's different from any other kind of peace, according to Scripture. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So this peace of Christ, it's a sense of wholeness and completeness and well-being. And in Scripture, the the peace of Christ is almost always paired with the presence of Christ. So here's the deal. The peace of Christ is both a, a present and a future reality. Because we know that Christ is with us, we can have true and total and whole peace, no matter what we're going through here on earth present reality. But even more, the peace of Christ rests on a future hope. We can go through hell on earth, even to the extent of losing our lives. But Christ has secured our eternal inheritance. That can't be taken away from us. Think about it this way. If it were possible for me to have an infinite amount of money in my bank account. Infinite amount of money, and my car got wrecked. It is a true hardship, but I'm not anxious about it, because remember, I've got an infinite amount of money. Let's say I lose a million bucks even. Still not anxious, because I've got an infinite amount of money still have peace in a spiritual sense that's what we have with the peace of christ we've been given eternity as real and painful as earthly suffering is and we never want to downplay that as real and painful as earthly suffering is we can have peace because of the promises of christ Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Next, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Part of having the peace of Christ is knowing the word of Christ peace of Christ isn't some mystical gas that just comes to you. The peace of Christ comes from being saturated in the word of Christ. Think back to your school days. When you walked into a test, when did you have the most peace? When you knew the material. Knowing God's word isn't about knowing trivia. Or being able to just spout off Bible verses. Knowing God's word is the substance and foundation of our peace. When we know God through his word, anxiety gets undercut. We realize God's presence because we know God's character. We experience God's peace. And it rules in our hearts. And I love this verse the word of Christ, how does it come to us? Through one another, through teaching, through admonishing, which is a word that means to instruct or even to warn. It's through those things and singing. I've said this before, but our congregational singing has both a vertical and a horizontal aspect to it. Yes, we sing truths to God. We acknowledge who he is and we sing praise to him. But according to verse 16, we also sing truths to each other horizontally. We do this because it produces peace when we're reminded of the truths of God. Think about that. Very literally, if your house burned down this last week, Or maybe if your marriage is struggling. Or if you've just had an awful week. You need to hear the people of God singing, Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. If you've messed up royally this week and given in to sin, you need to hear the people of God singing, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. You need to hear the people of God singing when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. This year, we've experienced this truth in a real way. For the months that we were online and not hearing each other's voices, it just wasn't the same. But being here, gathered together, hearing each other sing the truths of Scripture, it's a glorious thing. We sing to God, but we sing to each other. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Finally, verse 17, he finishes by saying, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see how comprehensive this is? He says, Whatever you do, word or deed, Those are the two ends of the spectrum. Essentially, Paul's saying, in everything, in eating, drinking, school, sports, work, serving, spending, marriage, driving, shopping, exercising, surfing, cleaning your room, conversations, public and private, do and say in the name of Christ. Do your words and actions, the claim of Jesus. Christians, Christians are made to reflect the image of God. We're made to clarify who God is by how we live and how we speak. So when the world sees our deeds, and hears our words, the world should better understand who God is. In word, indeed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We represent him. This is what matters. It's not about what you do. It's about why you do what you do. What matters is what motivates you to do what you do at work. You have people all around you doing the exact same job as you. But why you do it as a Christian, it's different. You're there representing Christ. You're his ambassador to your coworkers, your neighbors, and your family, and your friends. You're there in the name of Jesus. You see the scope of this? This means that in everything that you do, you matter. And I mean this in the Texas sense of y'all, you, all of you. Not, it's not as if in a spiritual sense, only my job as a pastor matters. No. I'm not the sole person in the church who works or speaks or does in the name of Jesus. Our elders aren't the only ones who work in the name of Jesus. I don't care if you're a cop or a college student. It's you, the members of Santa Cruz Baptist Church, who have been authorized to speak on behalf of Christ. That's what Jesus was doing with Peter, the apostles, and by extension, the whole church in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to paraphrase this, Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, Christ, the son of the living God. To which Jesus says, yep, you got it. And on that confession, I'll build my church. And I authorize you with the keys of the kingdom to proclaim that truth. You, y'all, the church now are authorized to speak and do in Jesus' name. Not everyone has that authorization. I can't go and speak and do things on behalf of the San Francisco Giants, even if I'm a fan. Only authorized personnel get to do that. That's what Matthew 16 is partially about. Who is authorized to represent Jesus? That's what Paul's saying here to the Colossian church and to us this morning. You're authorized. Now, in all you do as an authorized person, do it in Jesus' name. You've taken off the rotten clothes of verses five through 11. You've killed sin. You've put on the virtuous clothes of verses 12 through 14. You've let the word of Christ produce the peace of Christ in you. Now, go, represent Jesus to each other, to the world. This is the gospel in action. This is the result of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray.